All right, let's pray together. God, we thank you for this time, and I pray that you will uh, bless our time in the Word. As we, as we dig into 1 Peter, God, I pray that you will speak to us, that you will reveal yourself to us, that we will, we will hear your voice, and that we will hear what you are telling us, and that we will have the courage to, to move forward in obedience. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, for those of you who have been a part of a church uh, for any given amount of time, uh, you know that there are times where a member of the church can stir up a little bit of trouble. Uh, and this, this, uh, this member just gets under your skin and just starts digging things up. Uh, if, if you've been a part of church leadership, you've experienced this before. Uh, and so you have people who are causing problems, and it's really upsetting the congregation, right? So there is an Anglican church in Bath, England, uh, that has a membership problem. Uh, they are stirring up trouble, and they're having to deal with uh, this, these problems in some very real and some very expensive ways. Um, and I'm thankful we do not have those kind of problems here. All right, we, we don't have the problems that Bath, England has at the Abbey Church. Uh, theirs is not a problem with their current members, it's former members. Um, former members from centuries ago, actually, that are causing quite a bit of trouble in their church. Because um, the members that died, they buried underneath the church. And so there are like 6,000 dead bodies decomposing over the centuries under this church. And as bodies decompose, they get smaller. And so the ground underneath the church has become unsettled with all of these, these gaps underneath the foundation. And, and the floor is falling in. So I'm happy to report to you we do not have that practice here. Um, we will not bury you under the pews. Um, so we don't have to worry about the floor collapsing as you stand and sing in a few moments. Uh, but that's something that they're having to deal with because the, the foundation of their church is built on their former members uh, that are now dead and decomposing. And so, so many different directions we can take that joke. But, so they're now in this extensive rebuilding project where they're literally digging up the floor in, in the church uh, sanctuary, digging up the floor, digging up the bones, digging up all the remains, uh, filling in the holes and putting all of that back and then putting the floor back down. So they are rebuilding their church with their mem members as well. And so we get today uh, to this passage in 1 Peter uh, that talks about how we are building our church from living stones. And I don't think he anticipated uh, quite the literal application uh, that Bath England, uh, the Abbey Church there, has applied. But uh, he's talking about building the church uh, with these living stones. And so we're going to spend some time in 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. 
Each of us become a building block for the church, uh, not literally, uh, but figuratively. We are building blocks of the church. And this really is one of my favorite passages because it, it talks about how as a church, we all come together to be a part of what God is doing, that, that we're, we're being structured together into the form of the church as living stones. We are living, breathing stones. We are living, breathing construction pieces uh, to bring the church together. And it brings us a whole new mission, and it brings us a whole new identity as a, as a people of God. And so I love what Peter, Peter is saying here. Last week, we, we went through 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, and we were talking about these different exhortations or different reflections that Peter is giving us on what it means to live in light of our salvation, that if we are a saved people, then we should be living lives in a certain way, that if the world is hostile towards us, uh, how do we respond to that? How do we react to that? And, and he gave us four different things last week, uh, and we're going to continue that list today. The, the four from last week were, were the idea of hope, that we're, we're future-focused, that, that it's not about, um, we're, we're not consumed with, with the present crisis because we, we have hope for a future. Uh, also, this idea of holiness, that, that our lives should be lived differently, that we should be set apart uh, as different people. So if we are saved people, we should be holy people because God is holy and as children of God, we should want to be like our dad. Then we have the fear of God, that there has to be this healthy respect of, of who God is and the holiness of God, and, and we, we need to have this, this healthy fear of who He is, that He is sovereign, that He is the creator of the universe. And then we also need to love one another, that, that we're called to a new standard of interacting with each other, that we love one another. So, so these are the four things that, that Peter gives us. And we're going to add two more to the list today. We're going to talk about desiring nourishment, desiring spiritual nourishment, and then we're going to talk about building a spiritual house. And so these are the two that Peter addresses in chapter 2. Now, Peter's style of writing is a little bit funky. Uh, he, he gives us these exhortations, and then he kind of goes off on this tangent, and then he gives us this exhortation, and he goes off on a tangent. He's very preacher-like in how he interacts with, with his audience. Uh, and so we're going to kind of go through this piece by piece so that we can get an idea of what it is Peter's saying. So let's start with the first, first couple verses here. He says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, of all deceit, of hypocrisy, of envy, and slander of every kind. So get rid of the former way of life. Remember, he's addressed this in, in chapter 1 as well. He, he reintroduces these topics throughout his letter. So we want to get rid of all these things that are the former way of life. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Okay, so we have here this, this analogy of a newborn baby who has a certain craving. Newborn babies crave one thing. We know, I, I know this very well right now. There, there is one thing that will satisfy the baby, and I can't provide that. And so... So the baby wants milk. That's it. And it just craves this milk. That's what babies are supposed to do, right? And so as ones who are born again, those of us who are saved, those of us who are newborns, 
in Christ, we should be craving something. And we're not craving the things of our former life. We're craving something new. We're craving something from our spiritual life. Now, there are other parts of Scripture that use this, this milk analogy for things that are basic. This is not what Peter is saying here. Peter is saying you need to be, be craving spiritual things. That, we, that because we are living this life of salvation, we need to be craving spiritual nourishment. Our appetites change. What we desire changes. We have very specific cravings. And so this is Peter's fifth exhortation for us, is desiring spiritual nourishment. That if we are going to live a life that is hostile towards Christianity, and if we're going to live in light of our salvation, then we need to be desiring spiritual nourishment. We don't crave the things of our former lives. And so spiritual milk is the, is the things that, are, that nourish us in our Christian growth. Things like prayer and worship and, and hearing the Word of God taught and preached. These are all things that help us grow as Christians. And so we crave those things. We crave, to desire know, we crave a desire to know God more. We want to know Him and we want to know His will for our lives. And, and we want to be obedient to that will. This is the nourishment that we receive. This is why we ask the question so often of, God, what are you saying? And what am I going to do about it? Because we need to crave listening to what God is saying to us. Reveal to us your will for us. It's an ongoing process of asking God to speak to us and to let, to let us know what his will is for us. And so these cravings come from a place that we have tasted already. It says that, that we have tasted that God is good, and so, so we continue to crave something. We crave the spiritual things. We found nourishment in something, we taste it, and it tastes good. A dinner time with young kids at the table can be a little bit of a challenge, right? So you present to them some new dish that's not macaroni and cheese, and, and, and they look at it, and they turn their nose up to it and want nothing to do with it. And so we have the two-bite rule. You have to try two bites of it before you can really say whether or not it's good or bad. And more often than not, they will taste it and taste it's actually good. We're not going to be feeding them horrible, horrible things, usually. And so... so I, I, I'm afraid that too many of us have looked at something that is, is spiritual in nature, and we turn our nose up to it and think that could not possibly be good, but we haven't taken a bite of it. We haven't actually bit into that thing to know that it's good. Um, this is one of the things, as we, as we plan things, uh, for, plan different kinds of church activities, we have different kinds of opportunities for you to, to be nourished spiritually, and you won't bite into it because you don't know how good it is. We bite into these things and realize that's really good. Uh, for me, small groups 
Our, our life groups are, are one of those things where, where I have bit into engaging in, in biblical community with other people and tasted that it is good. And that's why I'm such a big advocate for, for life groups. That being in a small community of faith is so critical to our, our spiritual growth. But will you bite into and taste something and say, ah, this is good? And so I think too many of us are not even craving spiritual things because we haven't even developed a taste for it. That, that we haven't been in to see how good it really is. And so we don't crave spiritual things. We go from, from, from Monday to Saturday with, with no spiritual engagement whatsoever because we're not craving it. We're not hungry for it. You know, a lot of the diets out there are about retraining your body to, to have different kinds of appetites. Like our appetite for sugar is too great. So you cut out sugar and you, and you start training your body to have an appetite for, for healthier things. And our spiritual life is a lot like that, where, where we, we need to take certain things out of our diet and add other things in so we start craving those things. But until we eliminate those things that get in the way of spiritual growth, and until we start adding in the things that really add to our spiritual growth, we're not going to be able to develop a taste for it. We try it for a couple days, and then we fall off the bandwagon of that diet because we're tired of broccoli. And so we, we, we have to retrain the taste that we have. Now, unfortunately, too many of us have been around bad cooks. And so we've been in that small group that was a complete disaster. Or we've gone to that class where the teacher was just a nutcase. Or we've sat through that really bad worship experience. Or we've gone on that retreat that was just miserable. Or you know, we, we've gone to these different things and we've experienced things that were supposed to be the spiritual nourishment and we left thinking, ugh, this is not good. And because we have humans that are involved in these projects, we have, we have some bad cooks that are, are stirring up a pot that is not giving us the real nourishment that we need. But we need to be in a pursuit of, of these nourishing things. We need to desire spiritual nourishment. All right, so the next thing Peter addresses. Let's look at verse 4. He says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So if we are having these cravings for spiritual nourishment, we're going to want to go to places that satisfy that craving. And so if you have a craving for pizza, you go to a pizza place. If you have cravings for spiritual things, you come to the living stone, which is Jesus. You come to Jesus, and we gather together around, uh, around others who are craving that same thing, and we help feed one another and help encourage one another. So we crave spiritual nourishment, and that draws us towards Jesus. We taste Jesus. We taste that it is good, and we are actually being built together as we come together in that environment to become the church, a spiritual house. And so there's this unity that is found when we gather together around the living stone. We gather around Jesus, and we are consuming together these spiritual things, and, and we become nourished together. We're connected to and, and find our identity from the living stone. 
And when we're connected to Jesus, when we're connected to him, then we ourselves are called living stones. That we are all a part of what God is doing in this midst. Each and every one of us are part of what's happening here. We are each connected to one another. We're each being built together and, and all come together to form this structure. It's not the building that we're in. It's not, it's not who's on stage. It's not who's, who's in, in certain roles. It is each and every one of us coming together to, to nourish ourselves and to nourish one another on who God is. And so we are the living stones. We are the church. We have a, a spiritual connection to the living stone. And that builds together this house of worship. And so Peter's sixth exhortation to us is to, to build a spiritual house. We build a spiritual house. We come together. Think of a, a great chef who who has a certain taste for something, and, and they want to share that taste with others. They have this signature dish or this certain way of, of cooking, and so they open up a restaurant because they want other people to gather and enjoy this food together. Come and enjoy this cuisine. Come and enjoy this, this way of cooking. And so they, they open up a restaurant and, and gather people together to enjoy that food together. And so that's what the church is. It's those of us who have tasted that the Lord is good, and we come together and share with one another how the Lord is good and talk about that great dish that we had on Monday and that, that, that great time that we had on Tuesday and, and the things that have happened to us throughout the week. We, we, we gather together and, and, and share in, in how God is nourishing us. And those are the stones that are being built together. And as they are coming together, they become a holy priesthood. Ones that come together that have direct access to God. So after Peter gives these two exhortations of, of craving spiritual nourishment and building together the spiritual house, he gets into a little bit of a digression. So let's look at, at verse 6. He says, for in Scripture, it says, he's referring to the Old Testament, he quotes Isaiah here saying, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Here he's quoting Psalms. And then, he says, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So he's bringing together these three passages from the Old Testament to, to expand a little bit more on what it means for Jesus to be the stone. If Jesus is the stone, the living stone, here, is, here are some things that help describe him. And so he's applying this language of, of Israel's disobedience and rejection of God to the rejection that occurs of Jesus. Jesus is given as this precious gift, that the cornerstone is given by God as a gift. The cornerstone is the thing that is placed first, that all other angles of the building construction go from. 
And so everything is centered around or gone off of what the cornerstone is. And then he goes on to interpret this by using Psalm 118, and he talks about the, that the stone is actually the capstone, that it's the very pinnacle of who, uh, uh, Jesus is the very pinnacle of, of what God is doing. And so even though they have rejected Jesus, Jesus has become the very point, the very top, the pinnacle, the capstone of God's house. And so God has appointed Jesus as, as the living stone, and, and not obeying him, not obeying this stone, will cause us to trip. He's a stone that's in the way, and if we don't obey what he's calling us to do, we're going to trip and fall over it. We're going to stumble over it. So he's expanding more on what the rock is. Then the next aggression, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now... Now you have received mercy. And so he continues to expand on the images that he is creating. And he's, he's given four different descriptions of what the church is. He, he says they're a chosen people, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And so the church that craves, the church that craves spiritual nourishment comes together as living stones. They're built together, and because they're built together and becoming this body of Christ, they are a chosen people. They are a royal priesthood. They are a holy nation. They are God's special possession. Now, these are all terms that are given for the church, not for individuals. These are terms that are given for the church coming out of the Old Testament, all terms that were used for Israel. And so the church of Jesus is the continuation of Israel. And they're describing the functions of the church, the, the being chosen and set apart, being a priesthood, being holy. And so it's, it's difficult for us to identify with these descriptions because oftentimes we look at, at 1 Peter chapter 2 and look at it as a passage that's all about personal piety that we look at this and we read the first, first, first few verses and say, rid yourself of all of these things. And so we think, this is a message for me as an individual. But this message in 1 Peter chapter 2 is, is not for individuals. These are messages for the group, the community. They're describing the functions and the responsibilities of the church. And so each of these functions come together to, to define the purpose of the church. And he says this in the last verse here. He says, declare the praises of him. The purpose of the church is to declare the praises of him. Now the word praises here throws us off. We start thinking, oh, he's talking about worship services. But the word is declare. And the word declare is to make something known. And so we are de to declare the goodness of God. We are de to, to declare the message of Jesus. The church declares, announces the gospel, the good news. 
And so we declare that we are called out of the darkness. We declare that we are called into the light. We declare that, that we are a people of God, a people who have received mercy from God. And so we look here at this, this entire chunk of Scripture here. We zoom in at each of the individual chunks of it, and then we zoom out and look and say, what is Peter talking about here? Because he's talking about this, this craving of spiritual things, that we're to be desiring to grow and to be like Jesus. And then he's saying that we're supposed to be doing all this together as a community of faith. That it's important for us to be here. And so there's several different applications that we can kind of pull from this. Let's try to tackle just a few. First of all, it's important for us to gather together as a church. Gathering as the body of Christ is important. If one of the bricks is missing in the building, something is amiss. If you were to walk in and a big wall was, was missing, something's wrong. The stability of this whole structure is, is going to be compromised. And so I think we, we, as individuals, too often we approach gathering at church, just coming to church, we, we, we approach it as some optional kind of thing. Like, I'm in the mood for it today, or I'm not in the mood for it today, or, or I'm, I'm going to go because it's convenient or not convenient. But, but when one of us is missing, when we're, when we're not here, all of us are missing out. It's important for us to be here. It's important for us to gather together because we're helping one another. We, we're, we're, we're visiting with one another and we're talking to one another and we're interacting with one another and, and it's important for us to show up for that. And, and, and not in some sort of legalistic way where we're tracking attendance and, and if you miss, then you're a bad Christian, but, but it's important for us to be here because we're not coming just to consume something. We're not coming just to sit in the pews. We're not coming just to be spectators. We're coming to contribute something. And I'm not talking about the offering trays that are passed. That as we sing together, as we pray together, as we visit before and after services, as we, we take communion together and we engage in this time together, and then, and then from here go on and, and talk about the sermon and talk about what we've heard and, and talk about what God is doing in our lives, as, as, as we gather together, we're each playing an important role in that. That there's not just one stone and everybody else stares at the stone. We're all living stones that are coming together to be the body of Christ. And so it's important for us to be gathering together. The other thing that's really important for us is, is to make sure that we are continuing to grow in our, in our pursuit of godliness. And, and too many times we think of that as an individualistic thing, that, that it's me and my personal growth and personal development. Those are important things. Your personal time in the Word, your personal time of prayer are critical. But we've got to be sharing that with each other. We've got to be sharing the good recipes so that we can have this spiritual nourishment together. You know, this thing really worked with this. That ingredient, eh, maybe not. But th this, this is good. This is tasty. This is what I've tasted, and it is good 
And so we need opportunities to be sharing with each other. And that's why our, our life groups and, and, and things where you're in a small gathering of people are so important because it's an opportunity for you, for you to share and exchange recipes. And too many of us have, have isolated our spirituality to private things and social media, so we just get all of our recipes off of social media. Trolling people on Facebook is not the same as engaging with somebody in deep biblical community, in relationship with one another. And so if we're going to be craving this spiritual nourishment, if we're going to be desiring what God wants for us, it's got to be in the context of community. It's got to be where we're sharing with one another and we're vulnerable to one another and, and we're able to show each other and help each other understand what tastes good. And so I want to encourage you to participate in that. But then the, the very last implication of this section is this call to declare the praises of God. This is an interesting take that, that, that Peter has here, where he's, he's talking about the purpose of the church is not just for us to eat a lot and get fat. The purpose is to go. We have got to go and declare the good news of Jesus. And so there's this evangelistic element to what the church is called to do, of who we are as a people. That God forms the church, and the church goes and declares the greatness of God. And so how are we declaring the goodness of God? We certainly declare it to one another through our songs and through our time together. We, we need to remind each other and encourage one another of who God is and our identity in God. But who are we sharing that with? What relationships are we forming to be able to declare the goodness of God? When others see your appetite, what do they see you eating? Do they see that you've tasted that God is good? Or do they see someone who's eating a lot of something else? Are you someone who's eating a lot of bitterness? Are you, are you someone who's eating a lot of resentment? Are you someone who's eating a lot of, of sexuality or eating a lot of uh, fill-in-the-blank with all the different things, wealth, career, sports, activities? Do they see your appetite that's good? Do they see that you hunger for God? So Peter is, is giving us here this, this important, important message. And, and remember, he, he's talking to these Christians who are being persecuted, who find themselves marginalized. And he says, in the midst of a world that is hostile, it is critical for you to gather with one another. It is critical for you to come together, to grow together, and then to go and declare those praises to others. Declare the goodness of God. When you find yourself in a hostile environment, let's build the church together. and Let's eat some good stuff together and share it with others. Let's go ahead and be standing.